fundamentally the work of the teacher, the coach, the tutor, uh, the parent is to say, okay, what what's the next level up that we can ask this student to shoot for? Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Andrew, do you know what we often get questions about? Let me guess. <laughs> Testing. Assessment. You're exactly right. How could you possibly know that? <laughs> I think you told me we we're going to talk about that today. Yes, well, and actually this is an interview that we're going to do only someone, our guest, is going to interview you. Oh, so about this topic. So it's like a, ask Andrew something, right? Rather exactly. Than ask Andrew anything. Yes, and and this mysterious person that we're bringing on today is Dr. Gary Hartenberg, an old friend, an old friend. Well, a friend that I've known for a long time. He's not old. Yeah, we're old, but he's <laughs> he's <know>. still young. <laughs> yes. So he is the director of the Honors College at Houston Baptist University. And I've known Dr. Hartenberg. I knew Dr. Hartenberg when he was simply Gary Hartenberg when we worked together at Biola University all mm-hmm. those years ago. Yeah. So, Dr. Hartenberg, thank you for being willing to be a part of this podcast today. And I'll just turn it over to you and Andrew. Oh, thanks, Julia. I appreciate you having me on. Well, thanks, Andrew, for your time as well. Uh, you know, I originally reached out to Julie uh, to see if you know you'd be interested in in talking some more about uh, uh, grading, assessment, uh, feedback. I guess you know in the old days we'd call it correcting papers or something like that. But in general, how to give uh, student feedback on their written work in particular, and I had a I thought you'd be, uh, you know, someone that would be really uh, have a good experience in this because in the Honors College, we we try to approach education holistically anyway, not just thinking about the, the students' academic success, but treating them as whole people and trying to help them mature and develop over the course of four years at the university. So, you know, this is a context where uh, faculty and professors would be giving students feedback on their work, uh, and but in a program where students and faculty really get to know each other, and they are, you know, the faculty and the professors are working with the students over the course of three or four years uh, to improve their writing and just to develop and mature as a person as well. Sounds like a great place. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you, I guess my uh, uh, degree is in philosophy, so I always end up starting with a lot of questions like, what is, and then fill in the <laughs> So, you know, just in, in your view, uh, you know, w- how would you describe or, or define or categorize what 
uh, it is to give students feedback or to correct or, you know, anything like that. Well, writing, of course, is an art. It's something that you learn by doing. You can't memorize a bunch of information and then be good at it, although there is information which is helpful. Uh, If we think of the arts, uh, things that you do, they usually end in ing. So we could compare it to painting or drawing or playing an instrument or playing a sport or swimming. And it's also something that has no 100%ness to it. Uh, It isn't as though someday you will wake up and say, I am a perfect artist. I am a perfect violinist. I am a perfect writer. The the nature of the activity of art itself eludes perfection. So we're in a process of continual improvement, hopefully, or or development, uh, and yet there has to be that ideal. There has to be that model uh, concept uh, that we're striving for. Uh, in in the fine arts, we would see you know the great musicians become the model for us to try and imitate. In some places, the fine arts are still taught and considered something that is enriched by the work of the masters. Although I'm sure you're well aware that some of the ugliest stuff you'll ever see is in the fine arts departments at public universities that got A's because they were weird or different rather than beautiful or true. But, uh, you know, in our world, we're, we're striving for that, that excellence that approaches perfection. So the question you're asking, how do, we, how do we give some of that guidance to students, I, I would guess has to start with an understanding of the nature of a pathway rather than where's the you know where's the rubric in the sky so to speak where is the student now and what's the next step for that student you work at a, a much higher level than i do most of the students i meet or see are you know ages 9 to 16 17 and then you're kind of getting the cream of the crop kids who probably have an aptness already for writing, have a a decent foundation in grammar and mechanics, and so you may be working at a a higher level. But uh, I do think that fundamentally the work of the teacher, the coach, the tutor, uh, the parent is to say, okay, what's the next level up that we can ask this student to shoot for? Uh, in the in the world of music education, that's pretty easy because we've been doing it for so long, and there's codified repertoires, and there's lots of teacher training that goes into that, and you don't you know start on Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and then expect that student in a month to be playing a Vivaldi concerto. You you have a pathway from here to there. So I think in part our job is to articulate to ourselves and those we work with in coaching students, what is that pathway? What are the milestones? What are the steps to help a student 
you know, move forward in the area of writing. Does that all kind of resonate with your philosophy? Yeah, thanks. It's very helpful. I think the the image of a pathway is a good one rather than, as I think you said, a rubric in the sky that, you know, but then there's that tension in, in uh, learning an art or acquiring a new art between the lack of perfection that's attainable, but still having a goal that that you aim at in in all of your art. Um, yeah, that's really helpful. I don't want to disappoint you, though, but even at the honors level in universities, uh, we uh, still I don't know, struggle with uh, teaching writing to students who need uh, a good deal of, of instruction in writing anyway. But I, I think one one thing that I've noticed is that uh, having students do a little bit of writing instruction each semester, spreading that out over the course of, say, three years uh, in our program, that's how we structure it, uh, really turns out, uh, I think, excellent writers in a way that maybe trying to uh, teach you know, uh, uh, two classes or try to do it all up front uh, at the beginning when they're freshmen and then having them sort of figure things out on their own more or less after that. Uh, that we, we've had, I think, better success with spreading out our, our writing instruction over the course of a number of years. I think that's very wise. You know, if you look at one of the most significant differences between most 13-year-old writers and most 16-year-old writers, it's the fact that the 16-year-old writers are three years older. And <laughs> so they, they have life experience. They have read more. They've listened more. They're, they have more to draw on. They have more maturity. I should think the same would be true uh, comparing 18- and 21-year-olds. There's just a, a maturing that's still going on there. So this idea, you know, kind of you take freshman comp and then that boom, gives you all the skills you need to do well in all the classes you're going to take after that uh, is probably uh, a bit of an erroneous concept. One of the things, and I don't spend nearly as much time with university-level teachers as you do, but uh, it does seem to be fairly universal that whoever is teaching students these days in a in a a discipline in an area like social sciences or history or, you know, even the pure sciences, one of the, the great frustrations is, well, these kids never learn to write. And so blaming it on, you know, the high school that didn't train them properly or the freshman comp classes that didn't do it, whereas really it's something uh, that has to be developed and refined and and practiced over time. That That's the other thing I think that we forget is that practice is very much required. And of course, it's not easy. Uh, you know, I don't know about you. Um, I don't really enjoy writing things. Um, mm. I like I like having written something. I like being finished, and I like to be able to send it to Julie or the editor, <laughs> and know that they're going to polish it up, and it'll appear somewhere in a in print with my name. I like that, but I don't like getting from the starting point to the ending point. And uh, I would think that many students, um, you know, also share that kind of experience with with younger children. You can be relatively certain. And you have children, so you've noticed the best thing about schoolwork is being finished. 
Uh, so how do we then encourage the practice of it? Uh, that, I think, is uh, something also that I would bring my, my years as a music teacher. You know, how, how do you get kids to practice the violin regularly uh, with, uh, with concentration, with a continuous intent to uh, do their best and improve? That is just not an easy uh, nut to crack there, especially in the world today where people's attentions are somewhat fractured and they're distracted by many amusements. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I wanted to follow up on the, you know, the thinking of writing as an art and the comparison with the other arts. Do you see anything unique or specific to writing that maybe it doesn't share with the other arts that someone who's uh, providing feedback to students learning how to write would, you know, we'd want to be sure to focus on that in particular? I think perhaps a lot of people who are who find themselves in a position of needing to teach writing are very less prepared to do that than people who are in a position of teaching other arts. A music teacher would spend many years uh, being taught and studying and practicing. Uh, an art teacher would have, you know, uh, a great understanding of the pathway. Uh, to doing art well, dance, all of these things that have a, what you might say, a, an eternal tradition. You know, it's, it's been going on for as long as people have been doing it, and it will probably continue to go on as long as people do it. So you're, you're part of this tradition from which you can apply your wisdom and experience and practice to the teaching of that. You don't have to redesign a wheel, so to speak, uh, because you're, you're part of it all. Uh, you don't end up as a violin teacher without walking that pathway in a very clear and distinct, systematic way. So when you begin to teach, you're passing that on, which is is well known to you. In the teaching of writing, I don't think we have anywhere near that type of tradition. A lot of people find themselves trying to, um, you know, do remediation. Uh, people sometimes find themselves saying, well, you know, I, I know this isn't good, but I don't know how to help the student make it better. Uh, the pathway is just not clear. Oftentimes, people you know, who get into a humanities, uh, a liberal arts kind of academic world had a kind of a natural facility that was then refined over time and uh, oftentimes don't have a whole lot of patience for people who don't have that same natural facility. You do see this sometimes in, in you know, music teaching, someone who's a very fine musician but doesn't know how to break that into the small manageable uh, parts which can be communicated in an appropriate sequence to the new student. So I think, you know, part of what we do at IEW, I know you're well aware of what we do uh, at the lower level is we try to identify and then organize and, and communicate in a sequence those pieces, and to whatever degree it's possible, uh, not have an expectation beyond that 
step that you're at. So, you know, this is the technique you're working on, or this is the model you're trying to follow, or these are the mechanics you're trying to understand. You know, focusing on on where the student is and the next step, rather than than trying to speedily rush to a level too far beyond. How can that be done at the college level? At the um, honors college level, uh, I think is a trickier question, but it's probably something you've been wrestling with. What is our what is our pathway here? And then how do we get the other uh, teachers and tutors to understand that pathway and work in a consistent way with students? Yeah, I think that's really perceptive on your part, <clears throat> especially at the university level. One of the traditions uh, for teaching writing is that uh, the university would just hire students or, or faculty with PhDs in literature. And some literature students have experience and expertise in teaching writing, uh, but some of them don't. Uh, and people often conflate the ability to read a text well and interpret it like they teach in literature departments with the ability to teach how to write perhaps like these books that we're reading that are written so well. Um, and a, a lot of universities uh, uh, for a long time, I think just would hire uh, literature PhDs to teach their writing classes. Uh, I would say in the last, well, I don't know how long it's been going on, but there's definitely been a, a trend I've noticed to, on the part of universities at least, to uh, look at hiring uh, students with uh, a faculty with masters of fine arts a terminal degree and MFA in writing, because those sorts of uh, uh, instructors understand often better the art, the craft of writing, than someone who is simply a uh, a literature uh, professor. But uh, yeah, I think that's been a an, an important consideration that uh, maybe hasn't been paid paid enough attention to in at least the tradition of teaching writing. Dr. Hartenberg, I just want to interject something here. I'm sitting in the seat of a listener thinking, what is a terminal degree? Probably uh, something I don't want because I don't <laughs> want to die. Can you? I know what it is, but could you please just an define MFA it? An MFA will kill you. An MFA will kill you. A terminal degree is really just it's the highest degree that you can get in a field. And if the field is writing, uh, then uh, the master of fine arts in, in some sort of writing is the highest you can get in that field. Now, there are programs that will give PhDs in writing, but these, these PhDs often aren't uh, sort of further instruction in how to teach writing, but they're, they're more detailed research into the practice of writing or, or some specialized uh, area of research about writing. Okay. Um, but a terminal degree, uh, another way to think about it is uh, you can teach at the university level with a terminal degree, an MFA, uh, say, uh, in writing or even just in visual art or uh, some other form of music, some some cases, uh, 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 MFA in 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 an art, a field of art usually uh, will will be sufficient to allow someone to teach at the university level. Good, yeah. thank you. One of the problems I believe that uh, both instructors and students suffer is the difficulty of subjectivity. Um, you know, what is good writing, and is this good writing? And you think, well, 
you know, could could Dickens get published today? You know, uh, d- does he follow the rules of the type of quote good writing that people want? Of course, Dickens has never been out of print, so I suppose <laughs> that would be an indicator people still want it. But in a way, he violates all sorts of guidelines that various people would put forth as in terms of, you know, clarity or conciseness or engagement. My good friend and mentor, Dr. Webster, who taught me all about the Structure and Style program, a couple things I would mention because it might bear on your thinking here. Um, First story he told me was about a group of students at, I believe it was the University of British Columbia, who uh, had a paper and they did a little experiment by asking um, several different professors in several different departments to mark this paper. And the grade, the mark that it received, ranged from A- minus to C+. Plus. So that was kind of an illustration of, you know, uh, professors do have different opinions or preferences when it comes to academic writing, at least. But uh, Dr. Webster was kind of in this interesting uh, spot where he was teaching history, African history, and the university wanted to implement a writing across the curriculum approach. And so they uh, had this writing course that they would then rotate between different departments. And when the history department got this, uh, he volunteered to teach it. And that's where he came up with the checklists which you know began as a very very complex long checklist, uh, and then were reduced into elements that exist today in our structure and style program. But he did it in this graded way, so that uh, you would you would start the first paper in Dr. Webster's class, and you would have a checklist with, if I believe, seventy six. I think we did eighty and eighty eight, something like 80 that. Eighty things, mm-hmm. yeah. He would start with a checklist with 80 things to to do in this paper, and then the grading would be based on, you know, did you successfully do all those 80 things? And then if you, if you passed that, you'd graduate to a longer checklist, and if you could get a B- minus or better, you'd graduate to the next checklist, which I believe ended up with, was it 101 or something? Uh, so that's an awful lot of things for a student to think about. The fact that it was a specific and increasing in complexity requirement, and the grade was based primarily on, did you do all those things? So it was a technical approach to teaching. And I think it gave the students, if not um, too painful of a challenge, at least a little bit of comfort in knowing this is what I can do to get a good grade. If I want to do well in this class, I will attend to all these details. Uh, you, I know, are familiar with the classical tradition and uh, the exercises of the progymnasmata or progymnasmata or <laughs> I don't – people say it different ways. I actually tried to ask an expert how is it said and he goes, well, you could say it this way or that way or this way. Uh, but these ancient rhetoric exercises, you know, they've been around for a long time. And while they don't give us the rubric per se, they do give us a pathway of things to focus on kind of in a isolated way. 
and then they supposedly will kind of all come together toward the end of the process of training in rhetoric. Have you had some uh, experience using any of those ideas in your program there? Uh, we don't use sort of what you might call a, those classical uh, methods. They, for whatever reason, I would say they seem too far removed from uh, sort of the concerns of our students and faculty. Um, and I, I don't know if there's a way to say that or to put that uh, um, without sounding, I don't know, snobby about old stuff, because obviously we have great respect for the, the old methods and ideas. Um, but uh, I, I would say we probably adapt that on a piecemeal mm -hmm. uh, basis, whereas uh, simple, trying to you know, sit a student down or a group of students down and say, okay, we're going to start with, you know, this feature of, uh, you know, studying Cicero and we analyze this speech of his and here's the first thing he does. So let's practice the first thing that he does. Um, and, uh, you know, people have had great success with that. You know, what, one of the things that is sort of interested me is the, the fact that there can be a wide variety of successful methods of teaching writing. <laughs> And there's probably parameters that, you know, all of these share in common and uh, things that they do that are all alike to, to produce uh, students who can write well. Uh, but I, I, I think that there's a there's a kind of plurality to uh, to good writing teaching and uh, some some work well for some types or ages or groups of students and and some uh, not so well or some work better, some work uh, not as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. In a perfect world, we would be able to actually customize assignments and checklists and evaluations for every student in our right. in our under our influence. But of course, that's probably not realistic. We do live in a world that requires a practical approach in many ways. I, I have heard, however, that at Oxford, um, grades, you know, the, the uh -huh. evaluation is more based on the measuring the student against himself, that there's improvement and progress, and that that is the determiner of the you know, evaluation or the grade, as opposed to a system that compares students with each other. And uh, I think we're in this country just all so accustomed to this. Everybody gets the same assignment. They do it. And then we compare the papers against each other, even going to the point where saying, you know, we have to have a bell curve so that uh, a few students get A's, a few students have to fail, and everybody else is somewhere in the middle. That seems kind of ridiculous to me. Uh, and I don't think it's it's all that common anymore. But we do have at the core of our teacher psyche, if you will, I think this compulsion to compare students with each other. And I'm wondering if, if you've found a way to kind of break free of that and go a little more toward the Oxford approach, toward the music teacher approach, which would be, oh, you're improving from where you were. Uh, that's what we want to focus on rather than, oh, you play you know, one way and let's compare that with other children with the similar amount of experience or age or whatnot. Yeah, no, I think that's 
that's really right. The, the, the primary benchmark for a student should be, you know, their, their own progress and their own improvement. And maybe there's some general way, a kind of rubric in the sky that we could compare them to. But uh, I think, you know, one of the things that we do here, uh, and it's not perfect, uh, it's not quite on the Oxford model is, but where you in Oxford, you generally have a kind of one-on-one tutorial uh, situation. Uh, But every student in the Honors College here has a professor who serves as their mentor. Uh, and one of the mentor's primary responsibilities is to grade student work. Uh, and the mentor remains the same uh, from the, the first day a student is in the Honors College to the day that they graduate. So uh, for some of our students, that's, you know, three, four years. And uh, so the students that I mentor, for example, I do, I am able to see the progress that they're making both within a semester but also semester to semester and over the course of three years of study. Uh, and that is really beneficial because you know, our main assignment each semester is given the uh, very descriptive title of a long essay. <laughs> that's it. And the, the requirements add, we, you know, we add some research and some secondary sources and requirements and things like that in the second and third years, and uh, maybe some rhetorical developments and stylistic concerns in the third year that wouldn't be there in the first year. Uh, but really, once a student has demonstrated that he or she can really uh, produce a quality long essay, uh, the mentors are all able to say to the students to say, you know, wh- what do you think is best? Do you want to just keep you want to crank out another long essay this semester? Or is there some other aspect of writing that you want to focus on? And so for some of my students, for example, uh, who have done just quality essay writing work, um, I said to them, it doesn't really make sense for you to just write another essay. Uh, I mean, you can if you want. Uh, uh, but, you know, how about poetry? Do you like poetry? And uh, they all the, they always make the mistake of saying something like, oh, no, I, I really don't like poetry. I could never write poetry. And I just reply to them, well, I think we just found your writing assignment for the semester. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and and I so love it. now you're, you know, but, you know, and then thinking about, well, how is that really going to develop them as a writer? You know, I can say, well, you know, I have a kind of developed a s- series of assignments. And so your first poetry assignment is a Shakespearean sonnet. It's only got to be 16 lines. It's got to be this meter. Right. And what that does is, you know, right, it helps them focus on each word in their poem. Yes. Uh, whereas with the essay, if I've got a few words here that I haven't really thought about, or I just added some stuff on the end, uh, I can maybe uh, get by with that. But with a poem, every word has to fit and every word has to do a job and every word has to contribute to the overall effect and the beauty. And so being able to work with students at that level, uh, I think is, is necessary really. And yeah, you know, we have to be practical, um, but uh, we also, you know, I think having one-on-one relationships, small classes or, you know, things like that, or at least being able to get to know your your writer uh, is is a really important uh, point. I just can't, it doesn't seem to me, I don't know if you'd agree, but it doesn't seem to me like I can just take an essay and, and without knowing who the author is, just sort of score it 
if my goal is to improve the writing of the author, I, I, I think I really have to know something about their past history with writing, you know, what any progress they've made, what they're good at, what they what they think they need help with, um, that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think to not have a sense of the person behind the paper um, would be harsh, even even I guess it'd be harsh, hard to use the word immoral, but just fundamentally <laughs> wrong. And mm. along with that, I, I would always be thinking about motivation. Mm. Um, I, you know, what what is it that will motivate the student to continue to work hard at, you know, crafting sentences and paragraphs and refining the vocabulary and and devices and all those things that take time and effort. Two things which all students have, you know, uh, limited amounts of. Uh, right. So what what motivates? And uh, I think it was uh, Plato who said uh, that which is honored is cultivated or something along those lines. So I think it's a very important uh, to point out what you do like uh, about a student's writing. Uh, and and that was one thing my teacher, Dr. Suzuki, was always extremely good at, was being able to find something positive to say, even about some of the worst performances. Yeah. Um, but then you felt, okay, I, I do have some, I, I am kind of good at this, or at least certain elements of this. And that's so important to wanting to get better, rather than feeling like I can never make this teacher happy. I never do well. I'm not good at this, which, of course, can cause a person to give up entirely and then go into something that requires no writing at all, like <laughs> engineering. Yeah. I did have two, uh, I think, practical questions uh, about uh, giving students uh, feedback on their writing. Uh, the first one has to do with whether or not uh, the best way to give students feedback on their writing is through writing out my comments and my feedback on their essay or written work. Is it maybe better to give it in person or orally or, or something like that? And then the second question is, uh, how can I, as a writing instructor or teacher, uh, correct, uh, give feedback on student work without doing all of the work myself? Uh, so I have a student who needs help on understanding how to use commas. Like, how, should I go through the paper and put in all the commas where they should be? Uh, do you find that helpful? Uh, that's in general sort of the second kind of question that I have. My experience is with younger people, but my basic thought about writing on a student paper is that the only reason to do it is to give them an opportunity to apply that information or implement those changes and produce a more perfected version of it. Um, if you are just writing on it for the sake of them reading what you wrote and learning something, I'm not sure that's the best use of the teacher's time or is it the best way to communicate the idea. Uh, so that would be the first I'd parameter would be if if you write on a student paper, the reason is for them to produce an improved version of that. I have always dreamed of producing, creating, and I've never done it, 
partly because I don't have the necessarily the grammar knowledge or the technical know-how to make this happen. But I've always dreamed of kind of a a long and detailed list of things that are typical uh, errors that writers make or even some unusual or atypical errors. Those could range from mechanics such as comma usage uh, all the way to more content-based thoughts and and then having them all coded uh, so that you could, you know, on a student paper rather than writing you know, two or three sentences to try to explain the thing. This is what you did wrong. This is what you should have done instead of that. Uh, just put the code like B5.2 or something. <laughs> then they go to the list and they read, oh, B5.2. Oh, I see. Okay, that's what I did here. I think, you know, we could come up with, with a fairly decent list simply by keeping a record of everything we edit when we edit student papers and then having that organized into such a list. So I always dreamed of that because one of the things that no one enjoys doing is spending a whole lot of time marking a pile of student papers. Uh, I mean, I, that's not no one. I have met people who <laughs> actually do enjoy that, but I am not in that class. So I'm always looking for the easier way. The other thing, though, I think uh, is... In a way, it's it's a bit like ex post facto. It's like, well, you know, if you could have done this better, this is what you would have done, but you couldn't. So, well, it's too late now. It, it's not it's not very encouraging. So instead, maybe you know, either fix it or don't, depending on whether you want the student to redo the thing or not. But keeping a list of uh, things that you then could use as examples in the classroom. I don't know how your your classroom time is structured, but I know that uh, my mentor, Dr. Webster, who taught African history, I mean, that was a content-heavy subject, but he would always take the first 10 or 15 minutes of each two-hour lecture period and do a mini-lesson on something pertaining to uh, writing and composition. And some of the things that he came up with as those things on mini lessons were the types of things that he would see uh, again and again in student papers. So I think for the the teacher to keep kind of a little log of things they comment or fix as they mark or deal with student papers, keep that in a little notebook and then pull those things out and teach proactively, uh, you know, Here's kind of a goofy way to say this. What would be better? Let's have a, you know, five, ten minute conversation on this little element of someone's writing. And, you know, change a few words to protect the innocent if you don't want anyone to feel bad. Right. Yeah. Well, thankfully, here in, in our program, we have writing workshop or writing seminar that, that meets once a week. That, that the writing instructors in it can devote to giving writing instruction. And then the, the seminars where students discuss their great books uh, and even the lecture, uh, those are scheduled uh, at other times throughout the week. Hmm. Well, if I'm ever in Houston, I should come sit in on your writing seminar. I'd be oh, yeah. excited to see how that works. Yeah. You'd be more than welcome. Um, well, I, I don't really have any 
other questions? I don't know. Maybe if I if I'm missing something or overlooking something obvious. But uh, if if you have anything else that you know you think I should be asking, I'd be happy to to hear that. I'm often reminded of um, what I believe came from Mortimer Adler in the Paideia uh, Paideia proposal material that when we're teaching, we're teaching three three things: information concept and skills. And information is basically learned by repetition and memory. And it is, it is reasonable to test that on a percentage scale. It's reasonable to say, you know, here's the things you need to know, study up, okay, now you, you re- did successfully learn and remember 92% of those things, so you get a score. Concepts are, are much more difficult because they're not finite in the same way. Concepts, you know, you as a philosopher would know uh, can kind of go on forever. You can <laughs> keep discussing and learning about something. There's no kind of end to it. So it's hard to then say, you know, what percentage of this concept do you understand? So it's harder to evaluate, harder to grade. Uh, it almost has to be done in a qualitative way by discussion or, uh, you know, in the case of writing papers. And then the skills, those are things that need uh, modeling and coaching and imitation and practice. And uh, Adler, I believe, pointed out one of our big problems is that we try to treat concepts and skills as though they are information that somehow we can quantify progress easily in the same way, and then that often doesn't work. So it's a, it's a tough thing. I think we could, we could probably do an entire day or two of conference sessions just <laughs> on the subject of assessment and grading and marking uh, in, in writing and in other areas too. So let's keep thinking about it. I want to just wrap up because generally we mention a few resources to for our listeners to come to our notes page. So there's a couple articles that you have written, Andrew, that I want to mention. Okay. <laughs> that you have written so that you like them now. Liked, <laughs> I, did, I did actually write them. You did them. actually write them, yes. Uh, the Process versus Product. Yes. That's a good article for our listeners to refer to. And Dr. Hartenberg, if you have not read that one or wanted to print that out for your faculty, you can now go to the show notes and find it and make it available to them. Um, another talk that you give, Andrew, is the 10,000 times and then begins mastery. Yes. So that's yes. a good talk of just the amount of time that it actually takes to learn and master a skill. Yeah. Um, and, of course, all of your articles, most of your articles, I can't say all anymore, are encased in the book, however imperfectly, which – turned out to be a lot longer, I think, than any of us expected of all the work that you've done over the years and years of this great work that we're doing here at IEW. And then finally, of course, to um, mention our core product, Teaching Writing Structure and Style, our methodology of how we break down the complex task of writing into manageable steps. So, And we should also be sure to provide people a place they can learn about the HBU honors program in case they want to go. Absolutely. Well, And, and find a great school with yes. a great program. So, Dr. Hartenberg, do you have a page 
yourself of that we can send them to you or your honors college that we can include in our show notes? Yeah, anyone interested can just go to hbu.edu slash honors college or Couldn't just be. Google HBU Honors College. It's it has been and hopefully will be the first hit that comes up when you Google that. Um, <laughs> and then uh, we're also on uh, Facebook, uh, uh, Twitter, and Instagram if, if uh, parents and students or just people who are interested in the program want a more like day-to-day uh, view of, of what the program's like. Uh, we post updates on, on the social media there. Yep. Super. Well, we're fans of you, Dr. Hartenberg, and we're grateful that you are also friends and fans of us. So thank you for joining us today. Yes, for sure. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudoua and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.